You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Hey, what's up, Frisco? How's everybody doing this evening? All right, okay, I'm going to do this again. I always do it because sometimes people listen to my accent and they think maybe I'm from Texas, right? I'm not, I was not born here, but I did get here as quickly as I could. Come on, somebody. I love Texas for one thing, just one thing. Everybody say one thing. There is something that is so rare in the rest of the world that you find right here in Texas, and that thing is called common sense. Everybody say common sense. Come on, is that true though? Texans have good old common sense, and I love it. But I was not born here, unfortunately. I was born in Zimbabwe. Everybody say Zimbabwe. There we go. That's where your boy was born. And one thing about Zimbabwean people, right, when we have conversations, it's a holla back. Come on, somebody. Right. I talk to you, you talk to me, and that is how we communicate, right? So as I'm having conversations with you guys, if, if you're like, all right, what he's saying is like, say, preach it African, talk to me African, whatever it is, amen, hallelujah, we're about to have a conversation, right? Is that cool? Awesome. So one more time, hey, Frisco, how y'all doing this evening? There we go. Y'all make me feel like I am at home, and I am at home, right? Uh, my wife and I, we cut our teeth over here at Frisco. We came here for one year before uh, Lord led us to Dallas. We love it here. We love it here. I love the shucks. Let me tell you, you guys have an incredible pastor, man. He is wired to pastor, and you can see just even in their stuff. I love the Lux. I love just everybody else who's over here, and so it is always such an honor. When I first came to to know the swirl, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like the movements and the swirl and all these things and everything. Uh, the Shucks and, uh, and Vince and everything, they led me into what that looked like. And it's, it's been a blast ever since. So if you guys don't mind, could you just, uh, just help me honor the leadership of this house? I am so grateful that they, um, that they invited your boy in here. Just some... Uh, just some quick uh, shout-outs. I'm so honored to see uh, Papa Truman and Mama Jane in the house. Fathers to this generation, come on, somebody. His hug, their hugs will fix everything. Their hugs will fix everything. I am so, so, so excited. Just wanted to honor two more people. Luke Skywalker, thank you for everything you do, baby. God bless you. I love you, man. You make me sound good. And my man, Kyle. Kyle, you always keep us safe, brother. Appreciate you. Let's give it up for Kyle. Awesome. Last but not least, I just wanted to say what's up to my beautiful wife. What's up, beautiful wife? I just take her on everywhere too, so that you guys can know that your boy got game. Come on. I ain't got no game, y'all. It was all God, baby. It was all God. I love her for two reasons, right? She's an Eve in my life. She speaks life to everything that God has given to me. Come on, somebody. We know this about women, right? They are life. They are the mother of life. They take the little that we have, right? And they incubators. They incubate it and they give us back the fullest expression of what that thing is, right? You take groceries and you give it to a woman, what you get? A meal. Come on, somebody, right? You take a dingy little apartment or a house and you give it to a woman, what does she give you? A home. Come on, somebody. Come on. You take a headache and you give it to a woman, she takes it, multiplies, what does she give you? <laughs> it's like Mike, what are your calls, Vince? What you were talking about, the mohawk. Some people have earned that mohawk, so, but our father is good. 
our father. So I love that about me. Like she's taken everything that God has called me to do and to be. And she's just like, just breathed life. And that is what women do. Like you are Eve, you're the mother of life. And so I just want to honor every single woman in this house. That is number one. Number two, she is a prayer warrior. Come on, somebody. I'm telling y'all, there's so many times to where I am geared to watch a good show that night. And I go into the other room and I get stuck there because she starts praying in tongues for like three hours. And I'm like, oh man, I can't go out there because, uh, you know, the fear of the Lord is, uh, is over me. But I just wanted to honor what she does and everything. But yeah, it's such an honor to be here. There were two ways when, when, uh, when Jeremy reached out to me and he was like, hey, can you have a conversation? I was like, yes. He was like, I want you to talk about something that's been near and dear to your heart, something that's been brewing, you know, something that's fermented and percolated, you know, give us some of that good stuff, you know what I'm saying, some aged wine, I was like, I got you, my dude, but then as I went to the vintage and everything, I felt like the Lord was saying, nah, nah, I feel like I've got some new wine, it was like, I feel like I've got something else, see, see, we can go, right, the surefire way of what we're going to do, or we can go the way of the Holy Spirit, but I felt like he just wanted to minister to his people right now, and he's just using me as a proxy. So I feel like that's, that's where we're going to go. So it might not be your neatly packaged three-point sermon, and then afterwards you come back with a good, you know, analogy, and then you close it, and you're like, yeah, right? But it's going to be messy, because what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk you through some scriptures that the Lord has been using to pierce my heart. How many of you guys know that the scripture, the word is a sword? Come on. And if you look at this analogy, like um, a sword, when you take a sword and when someone is like, piercing me with a sword the only way i can reach the hilt and make that my sword is if i let it pierce me right and then from there i can reach the hilt and then come around and i do this and i've noticed that most of the times the most authority we have when we communicate the gospel and the word of god is the things that have peered us the deepest so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to take you guys on a journey of some things that the lord has been bringing me to and just some remembrance and then towards the end, I really feel like God wants to minister to his children and bring us, bring us back to this place and this space. It's funny because this, was, this has been so heavy in my heart. I woke up this morning at six and I was just processing and he was just giving me the scriptures. He'll give me the scripture and then he'll just dwell on it and he just brood over that, right? And uh, we got to Dallas and literally almost scripture for scripture, it's what the Holy Spirit was saying. So I just love what a genius God is. Come on, somebody. Amen. I'm going to read a scripture, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. And I feel like this is the framework for our conversation today, and then we're going to talk as a family. Matthew 5, verse 8, these are the Beatitudes, right? And see, what's interesting about the Beatitudes is, um, just to give you guys some context, verse 5, people think it's like, oh, it's just a word for everybody. If you're a Christian, you have to be here. But let me give you guys some context real quick. See, uh, verse 5, it says, um, chapter 5, sorry. Say, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So most people feel like, okay, he sat up there and he saw the crowds and he began to teach. But it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Yeah. So he was talking directly to his disciples, but what was shaping his perspective and his conversation was the fact that he had seen the multitudes. 
So in essence, the Beatitudes are to mature leaders and Christians on how we are supposed to be and supposed to act so that the world can see the witness of God and his love and his fear and his culture through us. See, that's why when you read the Beatitudes, this is not baby stuff. Come on, this is big boy, uh, whatever you say. You know, because it talks about, hey, if someone slaps you, give them the other cheek. It talks about all these things. This is not baby Christian stuff. He was literally giving his leaders, his kingdom people, right, the attitudes on how to navigate in life. And I feel like that's every single person in this room, that if you have a saving knowledge of who God is, you are who he's speaking to. So just some context, and then he goes into that, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come on, boy, you are in the spirit, man. Loved that. Come on. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Come on, fasting. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this is where he's had me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, we just come before you and we thank you, Lord. We just lay down our lives before you, Father. And we say there is no greater honor, Father. There is no higher, greater ambition than to see your face. And so we bless you. And I just come before you and I pray that through whatever lens people are viewing you right now, at the end they would see you clearly. Some people are seeing you through the lens of pain and processing devastating loss. Some people are seeing you through the lens of joy, Father. Some people are seeing you through the lens of provision. Whatever it is, we just pray that you would recalibrate our lenses, that in the end, we would see you. And so I bless you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, this book, either this book is true or it's not, right? We cannot pick and choose. That's what the Bible says. It says, desire the sincere milk of the word. Sincere would be the, 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 the modern day equivalent of whole, right? There's back in the day, like even as an English colony, we know what we're talking about in Zimbabwe. When they're talking about, it's not called whole milk. It's called sincere milk. That literally means there's nothing taken out of it. And so we cannot pick and choose what about this book, right? We agree with or whatever it is. Either all of it is true or none of it is true because the baseline and the foundation for this book is faithfulness. And how many of you guys know that someone who's here today and there tomorrow cannot be called faithful? We have a word for that in Texas. It's called flaky. Come on, somebody. Right? And so that is what I, I, I want to say about this entire book. This book is full of stories and testimonies of people who saw God. Right? I'm not talking about con- conjectural encounter. I'm not talking about like, well, maybe I felt it and it was so strong. There are book upon book of people of like passions as us, flesh and blood people who walked with the God of the universe. Can you imagine that? You get to the cafeteria and you're like, yeah, we used to get wild in our worship services and everything. And it was like, nah, Abraham's like, no. I saw, I, I cooked for him. I saw him. It says Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Walked with the creator of the heavens and the earth. Some people, their desire, their one thing was like, show us, show us your glory. He says, you can't see me and live, but I, 
I will hide you and I'll let you, and you can see my backside and let my goodness pass in front of you. This book is full of manifestations. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and there are people, our ancestors, right? When you open the family picture book, the very first pages are people who walked with God, who knew him. And that for me is the reason I stayed saved. I'm not even lying to you guys. I was like, wait a second. I can see God. What else is there? I don't want to get to heaven and sit in the cafeteria of heaven and I'm talking to these guys and they saw God. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, but well, technically, when you say see, well, what do you mean? No. <laughs> Come on. Either it's true or it's not. And I'm the type of person that I don't like lying to myself, right? So I do not like creating a false psychology, right? Or, 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 or false like what thought processes and systems and everything to justify my powerlessness or my lack of something. I choose to go to the simplicity of this book and say, hey, if this book says it is possible for us to see God, then that should be an encounter. And if I've never seen the living God, then there's something wrong with me and my perspective. And not this book and his promises. Because in, in this divine jurisdiction called in him, all the promises that are packed in this book are yes. And let it be so. Oh man, I get excited. We can see God. And we're going to go into, into some scripture as to why this is, this is so important and why this is so crucial and why this is so critical. And he tells us, he says it's very simple. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the moment he said that, I was like, man, I felt like Isaiah 6. And I was just like, oh, man, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell with people of unclean lips. Not my wife. She's got clean lips. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just like, so, so I, was, I was like, so Lord, what, what, what does this look like? So that is the pre premise statement. That is our launch pad. My one desire, my ultimate desire is how can I see God? Because when I behold, I become. Oh, man. How many of you guys here believe that we need to see a generation of people that look like Jesus walking the face of the earth? Oh, my God goodness i'm telling you everybody's waiting for this new wave of revival or whatever and everything and i'm there for it all but i wanted to start with me i want to wake up and just be like oh my goodness i had a divine encounter with the living god and not unto like flakiness or fluffiness or whatever no i want to see this god and that way when i step out into this post-truth society that we exist in right no atheist no muslim no whatever can have a conversation with me and say, oh yeah, let me prove the, 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 the null existence of your God. And I'm like, nah. See, even when you read this book, I love the people that walked with him. There's a confidence. There's a divine confidence that they speak with. They say that which we have seen, that which we have had, that which you have handled of the word of truth. Come on, somebody. There's a difference between Peter and John, and there's a difference between Paul, right? Paul has all this elaborate and, and all these things, but these guys were like, yo, we hung out with him. We saw him. Let's get into the word, man. I could, get, I could stay here all day. I could geek over here. But I'm going to just read some scriptures that he's been using to kind of uh, 
Jack with me, and then we'll um, and then we'll essentially uh, go from there and uh, and lend it. Um, Ephesians one verse fifteen. If you have a Bible, this is going to be more of a uh, of, of of teaching. So that means, hey, if you have a, if if you have a Bible in your notebook, write these things down. Because I really want the scriptures, I want you to take them home and meditate on them and let them pierce you and from there craft and create a new reality for you. Ephesians 1 verse 15, for this reason, it's all ESV. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Come on, somebody. That he would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your understanding or your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let me parse this for you real quick. It says that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So many times, I think this is one of those scriptures is true both ways. But the, the, the syntax and what it is in language, I come from in Debele, where I come from, and where my wife comes from in Zimbabwe. The more powerful someone is, the less they have to say. Come on. Kings are not obligated to make themselves understandable to you. They issue a decree and your homework is to go home and to understand everything that they said, right? And this was crafted in a similar context, in an older ancient context, right? Within this. And so when you read a lot of the words, you have to look, pay attention to the syntax. Not just what they're saying, but how they are saying what they're saying. Because a lot of the meaning is in the nuance. Is that Okay. So in order for us to understand, we have to go deeper into how they say things and what they're saying. And we have to go into the etymology and all the history of the words. And from there, the one thing I love the most about the Holy Spirit is he's a teacher. And the truth of what he's saying begins to appear. For this reason, because of your love and everything right here, that the God, the Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. So most of the times we group this and we're like, okay, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in which he is. But in this particular context, says that he would give you the spirit of wisdom. That is the main ask. And revelation in the knowledge of him. So it's the spirit of wisdom, and then we get revelation in the knowledge of him. You know why? Because without the spirit of wisdom first, revelation without wisdom is destructive. See, if you come to me and you tell me, hey, can, let me tell you something about Bo, and you tell me this and you give me a revelation about him, right? Without wisdom, I can take that revelation and spread it all over social media and destroy who he is. Why? Because I received revelation without the context of wisdom. And so what he's saying is before anything else, before you get a revelation, I need you to ask for the spirit of wisdom. And when we read the Bible, right, there's things that are ours, inherently ours by virtue of being on this side of the cross, right? There's like healing is the children's bread. It's ours. Deliverance, those are rights, basic rights. 
But then there's some things that he still says, ask for. And the spirit of wisdom, you go all the way down into the book of James, he tells us to keep asking for wisdom. He says, ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. How does this happen? Having the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So the first thing is that spirit of wisdom in the deep and independent knowledge of him, right? The second thing is the eyes of our understanding, having the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. The word being right there is a present participle, right? If you're into like syntax and everything, it talks about something that is happening now and continuously happening, right? It's a present continuous tense. So that means in order for you to get the revelation, once you have the spirit of wisdom, something has to keep happening, And that's something is that the eyes of your understanding have to be being enlightened. I just broke the English language. Do not quote me on that, right? But to make that point, something has to consistently happen. And what is that thing? It's the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Now, we don't pray for understanding, right? Because the book of John says he has come and he has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. So understanding is one of those things which you already inherently have. So in order for us to see him, the eyes of our understanding have to be constantly flooded with light. Right? What is that light? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The entrance of your word brings light and it brings, um, and it brings understanding. That's uh, Psalm 119. All of that is Psalms 119. If you want to know about the power of the word, it's Psalms 119. He talks about this, right? The cleansing pure as well, by the cleansing of the washing of the word. So the word is what floods the eyes of our understanding with light. And it's as we submit ourselves to this book and as we read everything about this, that all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, I'm getting a profound knowledge of who I am. And if you think about it, right? The, 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 the analogies are so apt in what he's talking about. Why does he use eyes? Why does it say the ears of our understanding? Because remember, the word is light. So the corresponding input has to be eyes. And if you think about it, how do you see? How do people see? How does the eye work, right? There's a light source, right? If I'm looking at my wife and everything, so the light source, right, it, it, it reflects or it bounces light off of her, and that light comes straight into into my eyes, right? And then my lens focuses into the back of my eye, right? And all this, like, um, the, um, the photos receptors then change it into electrical signals. It goes through my optic nerves, and it goes to the brain. So how you literally see, right, our avenue and agency for seeing is light coming from a source, bouncing off an object, and then coming into us and being converted, Right? So that is what vision is. Vision is when our brain then takes those signals and reconstructs an image. And then we see, do you see how powerful these parallels are? When you read the word of God, right? Word of God, it is reflected. His nature is reflected on this word. It comes into us, right? And then when it comes into us, that's where refraction happens. So there's reflection first and then refraction where it takes that light and it bends it so that it can hit the photoreceptors and everything. And then all of a sudden, we begin to know. 
Now, do you know what's pretty cool about this? The word no there, right? Um, the Greek has different words and iterations for no. There's no like husband and wife. And most of the time, that is um, genosko, which means to know it's a procedural and a progressive knowledge. But what I love the most about this no right here, it's a different kind of no. It uses the word ido, E-I-D-O. And ido literally means to know by the perception of the eyes. And it is a far superior knowledge, I believe, from just knowing. So, for example, if you're outside and you hear my voice, right, you know there's an African speaking in there, right? You know, but you don't know what I'm wearing. Come on, somebody. You don't know what my hair looks like. You don't know any of those things. You just know. But the moment you open the the door and there's contact and your eyes see me, then the knowledge goes to the next level. And that's what it says. It says when with the eyes of our understanding are flooded with light, then we idols, we know by perception. Come on, somebody. Having the eyes of your understanding and light, and that you may know idol. What is the hope to which he has called you? And what are the riches of this glorious inheritance in the saints? When you read this, you know the hope on why he has called you. So many times, right, we get saved and we get excited and we see God clearly and we're just like, yes, this is it. And you hear anything about Jesus makes you cry and you want to go out there and win souls and everything. And then everything, right, comes at you at the speed of light and then our hearts get heavier and heavier and then we begin to know. And then after a while, it's like, I'm just a Christian because that's what I do because I don't want to go to hell. And we've forgotten that the first thing that we're begotten into is a living hope. He has begotten us again into a living hope. Do you know why I get excited? Because the number one trait of life is adaptability, right? Plants, animals, whatever, the truest fact of the fact that they are alive is their ability to adapt to their environment. So when he says we're born again into a living hope, it means this hope knows how to adapt to the loss of your child. It knows how to adapt to the loss of your job. It knows how to adapt to a global pandemic. It knows how to adapt to the political situation. We're born into this context. Come on, somebody. I love the Bible. Man, Ephesians 2 talks about this. It says when we're still dead, we're raised up. He is seated us in heavenly places. Do you understand that when he took you from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, he literally took you and he seated you in the perfect context so that you can reign and rule with him. But all these are things that become lost to you if you stop flooding the eyes of your understanding with this. Give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of him, I like that word right there. See, the no is idol when he's talking about seeing, but the word knowledge there, that is epigenosis. And he talks about the fact that it's a process. As you read this more and more, you will never be able to exhaust the capacity of knowing him and him knowing you. Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. Why is it so important for us to see? Malachi 3, verse 1 to 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? 
For he is like a refiner's fire and like full of soap. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness unto the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former years. I'm grieved because so many times I come before the presence of the Lord and I'm just like, I'm here, but I don't even feel like my offering is worthy. Yes, I'll go through the motions. Yes, I'll let them, them, them teach me and everything, but we've lost that connection. We've lost that why, that divine why. And when I read this, I get excited because he comes and he purifies us through his word, through pain, through revelation, through whatever the Lord uses. Because the end game is always us seeing him better. See, this is the story about the book of Job. I love the book of Job, right? When you read it, there's this man, he's righteous, he's blessed, he knows God, he's tight, everything. Job lacks everything, right? And then the enemy comes and he issues a gambit to the father, right? Say, have you seen my character? He's like, oh, do all these things. I was always surprised. I was like, why didn't God cover him? Why didn't God just say, you don't mess with my crew? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right? It's code, right? Yeah. If I'm good with you, you're supposed to cover me, right? Yeah. And everything and everything. So I was surprised until I read the last chapter in the book of Job. Right? And Job says, hey, I have before this, with all the blessings, with all these things, I had heard about you by the hearing of the ears. But now my eyes see you. And I was like, wow. So this is why Job went through everything that he went through. In the end, he was able to perceive God from the lens of pain. He got perspective and no one could ever take that away. And I feel like the greatest expression of immaturity is for us to only think that we can encounter God in the good and he disappears like a fog or a mist in the bad. No. What I love about this, Job fundamentally understood this because even his wife, come on, I don't want if you guys know how influential, I'm not looking at you right now, babe, how influential wives are, but if your wife wants something, it's done. If she doesn't, it's not, there's no peace in the house. I don't know how God gave them this authority, but I'm telling you, it's just, you cannot rest if your wife is not happy. So Job's wife comes to him and says, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? And I was like, dang, either he had a really good life insurance policy or I don't know what was happening. But listen to Job's uh, response. He says, foolish woman in a sense, right? Give or take or whatever. But what he was saying is like, should we only accept good from the hand of God and what Job was fundamentally saying is that, hey, the epitome of foolishness is when you only expect good things from the Father. I feel like he's wanting to raise a generation of people to where whatever, come what may. And they're saying, Father, where are you? I just want to see you. I want to see you. And as we see him, as we behold, we become. Come on. Isaiah 33, verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling as sees the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? I want that to be the testimony of my life. It's like that dude just lives with a burning fire. 
the fire that was on Mount Sinai, to if, if an animal came around you, it would be stoned. That, the kabod, right? The glory that killed Uzzah when he held the cart, that on this side of the cross now dwells on the inside of us. No wonder we have this great crowd of witnesses. They're going, I want to see. I want to see how Vince does it. I want to see how Shay does it. They have, they have the covenant, the ark of the covenant dwelling on the inside of them. What do they do with that? Oh, I'm telling you, man, we are living in the best season of our life. Every single scripture that we read here, Jesus himself said it to John the Baptist. He's like, hey, listen, right? He's like, hey, the greatest, all the prophets, all the prophets and everybody, but there's no one greater than John. But the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than him because what was once an external reality is now a habitation and the reason you exist in this earth is to take the ark of God's covenant, the weighty presence of him, the kabod, and give it expression in music, in business, in parenting, in fathering, in social justice, whatever your context is. When you feel an aching, what, like what David says, is there not a cause? It literally means that God is calling you to a specific context. And he's not worried about that because he's put the presence, the weighty kabod of the living God on the inside of you. He just wants you to go out there and manifest. And I feel like that's where the enemy stole this and the whole concept of suicide bombers. It's like when you feel someone, right, with something so potent that it changes everything and you send them into a particular atmosphere. See, the kingdom, it says when Jesus came into a room, I love those songs that talk about when Jesus comes into the room, everything changes. Come on. Can you imagine that? He would come into a room and people had been bound for years. Demons just start screaming and come out, coming out of him. And then he turns around. Remember in this book, that doesn't lie. He turns around. And you know what he says? He says, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. What does that mean? It means right now he's sitting at the right hand of God interceding for you. The perfect God, nothing between him and the Father is sitting up there praying for your context. And all we have to do is believe this and partner with that and extend our hands and say, hey, the kingdom has come nigh. This generation needs that. This generation needs that. Second Corinthians 3 verse 12 to 18. I'm probably going to land it here. I had more, but I think I'm going to land it here. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So Moses was like, no, I want you guys to see the glory begin to, beginning to fade. So he veiled himself, right? And he says, uh, but, and their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yes, there's literal freedom because light chases out darkness. But this one is talking about perspective. It's talking about freely seeing, right? Unobstructed view. This is the context. And listen to this. And we all with unveiled face 
beholding. Everybody say beholding. Beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Number one, the levels of glory that you're supposed to exist in are progressional. The worship that we had here today, next week it should be on another level. And that's from glory to glory. That should be the reality of how we live, right? But listen to this. It says, as with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory, glory to the other. This word, this particular word has been misinterpreted in almost every um, scripture or translation that I've read because it makes sense in this context. But when you zoom out and you look at it from the broader context, you see what it's really talking about. The word for beholding there is the word kato primozai, prizomai, sorry. And it literally talks about reflecting as in a mirror. So this is what the scripture says. And we all with unveiled face, right? Reflecting the glory of the Lord are being transformed. This isn't like, okay, it's number three in the, no, the literal meaning of that word is not beholding, but, but literally reflecting as in a mirror. Where do we see this? Precisely, transfiguration. Jesus went up there and beholding his father with no veil, right, began reflecting that glory of the Lord. And in the reflection of that glory, he was transformed to the next level of glory. And people around him were like, oh, my goodness, that is our calling. Your calling isn't like, I know people are just like, oh, my gosh, brother, we got to go win souls for the Lord and everything. It's like, no, all that is fruit. Your one calling as a kingdom person is to gaze on him with the face unveiled, with pure eyes behold him. And as you behold him, this thing happens, which is called transfiguration. And you begin to reflect him to the world around you because now it ties into what we're talking about, how we see. We see it by reflection. But beyond that, right, if I carry a mirror, my wife's always talking about this when we drive. I have a very shiny phone. She's like, hey, put your phone because it's reflecting the sun into my eyes. It happens every time. Your premium prime number number one calling is to do this in communion begin to reflect him wait a second there's sickness right there father i'm beholding the healer iteration and aspect of who you are and i'm reflecting it on my sick brother oh there's lack over here father i'm beholding you as el shaddai the multi-breasted one and i take that and i reflect it on someone who has lack over here that is our prime calling with unveiled face reflecting him and as we do that as i reflect his healing on my brother i am transformed to the next level of glory because now i have a testimony and i have an understanding that when i gaze on him and i laud him as healer then i we take this and it goes over here and we go from glory to glory to glory see the beautiful thing about this as we close, it's very simple. It was talking about he will come and he will purify the sons of Levi like gold or silver. Why is this important? 
Back in those days, they did not have glass. So mirrors were literally metals. That's how you would see it. And how you guys know this and how they would purify is they would take this fire and they'd take this gold with impurities, right? And they would melt it. And we know this and all the impurities would come to the top and they would scoop them and then turn up the fire. How many of you guys feel like, ah, what's happening? I always feel that way like when I'm fasting. I'm like, the fire is on. I'm manifesting things I didn't even know were deep in me. Then the impurities come to the top. That's what you do when you're fasting. When you're fasting and things come up and you're like, my wife's like, what's happening with you and everything? You take that before the father and say, father, this is inconsistent with who I am and who you made me to be. Take it away. And that's how he purifies us through this. But so they would take this fire and they would melt this gold and then all these impurities would bubble to the top and then the refiner would scrape that and turn up the heat and more impurities. And he says the way they knew that it was now purified gold and silver was when he could look at that surface and he was unbroken and he could see his image in that. Your trials and your tribulations are the father turning up the heat so that anything in you which is not of him can be melted and scraped out of there. The world needs to see him through us. If they don't, listen to me, listen to me. This is why it's so important for us to get it. If they don't, they will remake a God in their image. And it's already happening. Ask atheists. Go to all these other churches and everything. It's like, oh, I'm cool with Jesus or I'm cool with this. and This is what he was and this, this, this and everything. And we need to stand up and say, I don't know what you're talking about, but let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you what he does when he encounters injustice. Let me tell you what he does when he encounters sinners. Let me tell you what he does when he encounters sickness. And that is our primary calling. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The veil over our eyes is impurity. And there is scripture upon scripture I had lined up to where he talks about how he's like, be ye holy for I am holy. He's not saying go and figure out what being holiness is, do that. He says, no, because I am holy and you are beholding me, then you have the perfect prototype and impartation of my holiness on you. If I could get someone on the keyboard real quick, uh, I feel like the Lord is calling us back to that place of purity and holiness and the fear of the Lord. We were driving back from Austin and uh, we put on a CD and everything. And then uh, my wife was driving me and she starts weeping and she's freaking me out. I'm like, can you even see through all those tears? I'm like, I'm going to die today and everything. But after that, that conversation, I'm like, do we fear the Lord? I was like, do we even know what the fear of the Lord is? And in that moment of clarity, faced with the presence of God in his unimaginable light, I was like, I don't even know what the fear of the Lord is like. I know the jokes I laugh at. I know what I listen to. I know my thoughts. And I was like, Father, I don't even know how to fear you. And there's so much promises for the fear of the Lord. Psalms 34, verse 11, he says, Come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's why he said it's expedient for me to go away because I will send you the Holy Spirit. And his primary function is he's a teacher. So whatever we lack, he is here to teach us the fear of the Lord. So if you don't mind just... uh, 
No, let's not stand for this. Let's have a conversation and then we'll have some, I'm sorry, a conversation with him. But I just want us to take us back to that point. Right, Jeremiah 2 says, I remember you in the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness, in the land not sown. There's things that have failed us. There's avenues where we have tolerated secret sin and we have chosen. It's been a choice to look more like the world. 